It's a funny story uh, about, our, about, our, about our band. Not that our band is funny. They're actually really talented. This is our band, by the way. This is the, a lot of this, uh, our band incorporated with their band, kind of put it all together. It's really cool. So we have a really quality worship experience for our students. Um, really funny story about uh, the young man who was just singing that song. You may have seen him on Sundays. He also plays keys. Uh, so someone told me, uh, in the church, they said, hey, there's this young guy, he's been helping, his, his parents are helping out, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera, uh, but, but he's shy to come to youth, he's shy to come to youth, and you guys should, I'm really embarrassing him right now, you guys should, uh, you, you should reach out to him, and you should go, uh, you should go, you know, love on him, et cetera, et cetera, and so I'm like, that's a great idea, that's a great idea, I'm going to go meet this young man, and so I run into Jake, his name is Jake, I run into Jake, I invite him to come to youth, I tell him that Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, we have an awesome service for uh, senior high, junior high students, Um, we have three core values, like we kind of explained a little bit tonight, just wanted to give the church a little taste of what we do on Wednesday nights as a youth ministry, and so since then, uh, Jake has become a huge part of obviously not just our ministry, but also our Sunday morning morning worship team and as you all got to see boy can sing too right well the funny part about that story the funny part about that story was that the per- when I finally reached out to that pre-ball I was like I reached out to that person and uh, I was really loving on that kid etc cetera, etc cetera. like not that kid I meant that kid <laughs> you see Ephesians 2 10 says we're God's workmanship we're created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do I believe that means that we have a purpose, we have a destiny in our lives. It doesn't matter what you look like, it doesn't matter where you came from, how old you are. It means that God has a plan for your life. And I believe that as the generation's pastor of this church, that every one of your children, your babies, your intern, how age, whatever, senior high, junior high, whatever age they are, that God has a purpose and a destiny on their life, and it's our job to help them discover it. That's what we do here at Celebration Church. That's what we believe at Celebrate Students. So listen, if you don't know, my name is Pastor Lance. Things look a little bit different tonight. Uh, it's Celebrate Students Takeover. Wednesday nights, we have service exactly like this. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different the way you do it, but it's, uh, it's pretty much exactly like this almost every Wednesday night. And um, one of the things that we do, one of the things that we do is we preach in series um, every Wednesday night. I, for the most part, preach uh, about 90% of the time on the Wednesday nights um, to our students which is my honor. I appreciate that. In fact, I'm really appreciative of being able to speak anytime I can share on this stage uh, to my pastors who are um, amazing, amazing, awesome mentors and uh, godly influence in my life to my wife and I. So I just want to say thank you to them for allowing me to share with you tonight. Um, But in our series in Celebrate Students for the past couple weeks, we've been talking about uh, seasons. Seasons. Everybody say seasons for me as I open this bottle of water. All right, so seasons. So there are natural seasons on the earth, and there are also spiritual seasons uh, that we go through in the journey of our faith. And so uh, tonight we're actually concluding for us, but just kind of beginning something new for you. And so tonight we're actually talking about the season of winter, okay? The season of winter. Um, And for the past, just to kind of recap, we've been talking about for the past couple weeks about sowing and about reaping. And so uh, what we've noticed is, is that whatever you've sown into, you will eventually reap. 
And some of the things we've been talking about in our lessons have been that no matter what you do, whether you're speaking to someone, you're not speaking to someone, um, whether uh, the way that you live your life, the, the music that you listen to, the things that you watch, uh, whatever you allow before your eyes, or even just the influences around you in your sphere of influence, you are sowing to some degree. And when you sow, you will inevitably reap. Okay, and so uh, in the course of reaping, in the course of reaping, if you've sown into bad things, then you will reap bad things. And if you've sown into good things, godly things, the Bible says that there is a reward in that because the truth of the matter is you always reap more than you've sown. So tonight we talk about a trying or a testing season um, because if you didn't sow sufficiently, you won't reap sustainably. You see, in the farming days uh, where people's livelihoods depended on how much they had sown and how, how well they had reaped, it would all depend on, uh, in the winter seasons, the trying seasons, how well they had sown, how much they had reaped, how good the rains were in the spring, how, how well they worked their fields, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that would, they would be able to endure the winter months, endure the winter seasons. So tonight, we're talking about a trying or a testing season, the season of winter. So let me pray. Father God, tonight I want to thank you for your word. I want to thank you, Father God, for this church body, uh, all generations that are represented tonight. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you would help me to articulate and enunciate every word. Father God, I pray that you would open up, Lord God, the windows of heaven right now, Lord God, and release, Father God, wisdom, release revelation, release, Lord God, seeds, Father God. Your word says that it is the incorruptible seed. It's infallible, indestructible, and it will go forth and it does not return void. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'd like to uh, explain a little further this trying or testing season through a story from the Bible, if that's okay. Is that okay? Speaking of your Bible, um, speaking of your Bible, mine's over there in my chair. I'm meant to bring it up here. It's okay. I don't need it. Um, speaking of your Bible, if you don't have your Bible with you, we have a, uh, thank God for technology, we have a Celebration Church app, um, which you can open up right now if you have the Google Play Store or if you have the, uh, the Apple Store. It even works on your iPad. I don't know if you know that too, but the app is formatted for your iPad as well. You could go there. It has a lot of great things, including our latest sermons, ways to get connected at the church. You can even tithe. You can even tithe uh, from the church app. But one of the greatest assets to it at all is that it has also the Bible and a really cool reading plan attached to it. So go ahead and download that. Open it up to Genesis 22. Verse 1 through 12, I'm going to read to you a good portion of what we call on Wednesday nights and celebrate students, scripture, okay? A little bit of scripture. Genesis 22, verse 1 through 12, okay? This is the story of a man named Abraham. Sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called Yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so, so much, and go to the land of Moriah. Everybody say, Moriah. Tonight's message is actually titled in your notes, The Journey to Moriah. The Journey to Moriah. So, go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. The next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey, and he took two of his servants with him along with his son, Isaac. 
Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out on the journey for the place that God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there. Everybody say, we'll worship. We'll worship there and then we'll come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and he said, Father? Yes, my son. Abraham replied, We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where's the sheep for the burnt offering? This next part is really amazing to me. In verse 8 it says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they both walked on together. While they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. I need to pause right there. I have a really challenging time getting my six-year-old daughter to go to bed, let alone my, like, ten-year-old son to lay on an altar as I raise a knife. I just wanted to point that out, okay? So it was a very obedient children. Um, and Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice and at that moment the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven Abraham, Abraham yes, Abraham replied here I am don't lay a hand on the boy the angel said do not hurt him in any way for now I know that you truly fear God you have not withheld from me even your son your only son. Let me give you a little backdrop about my man Abraham, okay? Abraham. Abraham, before he was known as Abraham, he is the patriarch formerly known as Abram, okay? Abram, Abram. Now, Abram, back in the days, a long time ago, when he lived with his father in his father's house, his father's name was Terah, Okay, when Abram was, was out there, God had called him, God had called him and said he was going to bless him. In fact, Genesis 12, 2 says, I will bless you. This is God speaking to Abram. I will bless you and I'll make you famous and you'll be a blessing to others and all the families on earth will be blessed by you. Okay, that's a pretty large promise for someone to have directly spoken to them by God. In fact, when you look back at Abram's life and you look back at the ancestors of who Abraham actually is, he used to be called Abram, um, but look back to this is, you can actually trace back the three of the world's most powerful, prominent religions all back to his lineage. Judaism, the Jews, Islam, and Christianity can all be traced back to this one man. Now, the word, at the, after this promise, God then tells Abram, from now on, I'm changing your name. Anybody ever change their phone number? Ever change their phone number? You have to send out a, like a mass text or an email, like I just changed my phone number. You know, it's very hard for, to get people all used to this. Now imagine changing your name, okay? He changed his name to Abraham. Now, what's interesting about Abraham and that name and why God would give him that name is that the word Abraham means father of many nations. Now, that's awesome. 
That's amazing to be, to be changed from just a regular, ordinary man to have the blessing, the calling of God on your life, and then to be named the man who is going to be father of many nations. What a promise. Only thing is that Abram had a little problem. Abram was later on uh, pretty, pretty advanced in his years, okay, pretty advanced in his years, and his wife had already figured out, he and his wife had figured out that they were barren. They could not have any children. The man has no children and yet promised to be the father of many nations. That's a problem. Okay? So after their waiting and their, and their pursuit of, of, of the promise, uh, uh, you know, uh, in fact, speaking of that, and take a little side note, you see, you, you know, the, the promise of God always precedes the blessing of God. See, many times God will promise you something, but the, but the end result is just, is just is nowhere in sight. And that's when God needs, God needs to see the testing and the revealing of our heart. That's when the trying season of winter comes into play. Let me continue my story. So the father of many nations now has no children, and yet he's hanging on to the promise of being the father of many nations. Now, his wife conjures up this, this idea as a woman just trying to be motherly and, and trying to help God out a little bit, that she uh, comes up with this plan for her husband to uh, have an affair, a, uh, un, un, an unwarranted affair from the will of God with her maidservant, Hagar. And from this, uh, this unwarranted, from this, this uh, unsanctioned event that happens comes the actual lineage and birth of the nation of Islam where God promises that this man that was born from Hagar would actually war against the nation of Israel for all of eternity. In fact, you could look back right now all the way back to the early 90s, all the way back to the formation of the nation of Israel as a formal nation back in the 70s, all the way back to what is happening right now in the Middle East, you are still still seeing the effects of what some people even believe to this day are watching and witnessing Revelation. The book of Revelation lived out because of this unwarranted, unsolicited affair that happened out of the will of God. <laughs> because listen, the promise of God still stands. He would be the father of many nations, many nations. And when the promise of God is attached to something, whether or not we choose, the, th the choice is this. It's such a powerful, powerful consideration, the choice of the power of free will that God has given us, that we can literally choose, as the Bible says in Genesis, choose ye this day who you would serve, me or the enemy. When we choose our will and we choose to follow the things that, that are contrary to the will of God, it is inevitable that the blessing of God and the calling of God he has in our life can also steer us in a completely different direction. I truly believe you can't, just me, I truly believe that you can't change your destiny. You can't, you can't change it because God's called you to something. I do believe you can't alter it, though. He was going to be the father of many nations, one way or another. After learning this hard lesson, a miracle happened. Somewhere in the age of about 90 years old, Sarah becomes pregnant, Abraham's real wife. They have a son named Isaac. 
From the lineage of Isaac comes uh, his son Jacob. And from Jacob come the 12 tribes of Israel, which births the nation and the people that God would say, you are my people. You are my holy people on this earth. You're the Jews. And from that lineage came from the tribe of Judah, the lineage of a man known as Jesus Christ who would bear the weight of the world's sin on his back and die for us and reconciling us back to God forever. Our salvation, our redemption comes from the lineage of Abraham's, Abraham's obedience and the promise of God all the way back to this story. It's an incredible thought. It's an incredible thought to think that when we follow the obedience and the blessing of God that is attached to the promise, the fruition and how it lasts for generations. Incredible. So I just thought that was cool to share. Anyways, so Abraham's father, Abraham's father, as he, Abraham is, is receiving this blessing, his father, Terah, uh, in the blessing, when God tells him he needs to move um, uh, and, and to receive God's blessing and to walk and to enter into his destiny, um, God tells him you need to pack up everything you have, everything you know, everybody you, you've ever been around in your whole entire life. You need to move to the land of Canaan. Well, Terah, his dad, kind of doesn't like that idea. He says, you know something? I'm, 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 I'm going to recommend something to you. Let me just share with you a story. Everybody follow me so far? Good. He says, I have an idea. This is what we should do. We, you should move to a place called Haran, okay? I want you to just pitch your tent in Haran. Stay in Haran for a little while, okay? Abraham says, sure, why not? Now, what's interesting about that is the word Haran actually means halfway. You see, so many times we allow people, failures, depression, addictions, uh, the slighted faults and worries and anxieties of the world to hold us back from entering into the full potential of what God has for us. So many of us have pitched the tent in Heron and have not entered into the full fruition of what God has called us to do because we've allowed people to hold us back. So it's only, it's only no wonder why a time of testing was necessary for Abraham. A time of trying. I'm going to get a little bit deeper into this sermon here. I need your guys' help. Is that okay? No wonder that a testing of some sort was needed for Abraham to enter into his true calling. God says, you know what? I need to see who you really are. I need to test and try your heart. I'm going to send you to the land of Moriah, and I'm going to show you a mountain. You know, it's interesting about the word Moriah. It means to be seen by God. <laughs> he literally said, come on up here. Let's see what you're really made of. With great responsibility, folks, comes great accountability. Oftentimes when God has called us to something great, you can imagine the furnace to be turned up a little bit. There is a trying process that happens in the journey of faith where God will turn up the heat in order to bring out the dross of our heart. That's the impurities, the things that don't belong, the things that are not like him. And the only way to remove it is through the flames of the fire of trial. 
you want to go deeper in your spiritual walk with the Lord, you can expect there to be times of trying and fire. There's two things I want you to remember about the journey to Moriah tonight. Just two points. Real simple. It's real simple. Altars and tents. Everybody say, altars and tents. Thank you. Altars and tents. Now, two things. The significance of the altar, the significance of the altar is that this. It represents the commitment to giving God the supreme place in our lives. The altar. What is an altar? Uh, Pastor Frankie has this awesome saying. I, I, I totally uh, steal it every time I preach. But the altar is a place made of wood, steel, or stone where things go to die. The altar is a place where things in your life get altered. But see, in the Old Testament, there was always this, 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 this time where people would build altars. People would build altars. In fact, when the Israelites, after they left uh, the, the children of the, of the Israelites that had crossed and parted the Red Sea and now entering into the Promised Land, when they, when they crossed over the Jordan River, they walked on dry ground, kind of like their ancestors had done. Uh, when they got to the other side, the Lord instructed the 12 tribes of Israel, a, mem- a member from each tribe, to walk and to carry a stone from the dry portion of the, of, of the, of the riverbed and to build what? Build an altar. To build an altar. Why is that? Because an altar, an altar, and you find stories like that throughout the Old Testament. It's like, and then so-and-so built an altar, and then this person built an altar. Why is that? Because when you build an altar, it's the place where we meet God. It's the place where we meet God. You see, you can't forget that in a time of trying, in a time of victory, that in a time of defeat, that there has always got to be time for an altar to be built. Meaning there has to be a time and a place that you have sanctioned for you to meet with God. There has to be. There has to be a time to meet God. There has to be. And this is the time where we come, maybe it's once a week. This is all you can do. This is a great crowd tonight. It's fantastic that, that so many of us can make it in one of the, the longest commutes in the city, the Woodlands, to make it to church on a Wednesday night. That's phenomenal. Maybe your only time that you can meet is on a Sunday. Maybe you come as soon as the doors are open. You're here. You're sitting in this place. That's great. That's good for you. Uh, but the, the importance is that no matter whether you're in a time of victory and a time of defeat, you know that there has to be a time where you meet God. You meet him at the altar. And the second thing is, the altar is where we call upon God. We call upon God at the altar. See, the thing about an altar is that it must be built. There has to be time built into our schedule. There has to be time built into our week. There has to be time built into our day where we meet God. Because at the altar is where we call upon God. See, when you call upon God, it creates humility. It's true. When you call upon the Lord, it creates humility. You see, you know, something I've learned about humility is that humility is seeing yourself for who you really are, not for who you think you are. <laughs> I'll say it another way. Seeing, humility is seeing yourself for who you really are, not for who you think you should be. I had to take this test the other day. I took a test online. Ten questions. I'll do this, no problem. It wasn't like a Facebook thing. It was like a real thing. This was like a, like a real deal. I don't want to tell you what it is. I'll be embarrassed. It was like a real thing. Ten questions. I got two right. 
I pride myself and think that I'm a smart man, okay? I got two right. I was humbled. You see, if there's not a place in our life where we can call upon the Lord regularly, you forget who you really are. That's what the altar's for. It's the place where we call upon the Lord. The altar is a place where we respond to God. We respond. Have you ever resolved? Resolved. You know what that is? Resolve. When I first moved to Houston from Dallas, um, I had this meeting downtown. I needed to be somewhere in the vicinity of like East I-10 and 59. Anybody know where that is in your Minute Maid Park? I need to be in that area, okay? I, I calculated in my Google Maps. should take me about 42 minutes. It was 8.30. How many of you think I got there in 42 minutes? <laughs> I'm, I'm from L.A., all right? I know what traffic is. I know. I could drive fast. I got it, right? I get it. I'm going to make it, Okay? I was an hour late. <laughs> At that moment, I resolved in my heart to never, ever travel down 45 unless I absolutely had to. <laughs> Why? Well, there's options. To be in that portion of I-10 and 59, I could have taken 59. I could have taken the Beltway. I could have taken Hardy Toll Road. I have other options. So I was able to resolve. You see, when you build an altar in your life, the altar is a place where you commit to the Lord that you are Lord of my life. You stand in this place in my life. Nothing else is worthy of being worshipped. Nothing else is worthy of my time. I have resolved to stand here and to respond to you. That's what the altar is for. That's what the altar is for. I'm running out of time. Remember I said there were two things, right, about the season of winter? There were altars and there were tents. The significance of the tent is that it reminds us that this life is transitory and that we are, in fact, on a journey. This life is a journey. Moving deeper spiritually requires respecting God on the altar of our lives and remembering you live in a tent. But see, the thing about this particular season of life Super hard. Really hard. But check this out. Abraham in verse 5. Abraham in verse 5 says this. He said, stay here with the donkey. He's on his journey, right, to Moriah to be seen by God. Remember that? He saddled his donkey. He's walking with his two servants and his son. It's interesting how, 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 we have, to, uh, we have to provide the sacrifice, but God will always provide the fire. Isn't that interesting? Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we'll come right back. I got somebody to play keys for me. I can take a little while. Abraham called this time of testing. He knew where he was going. I mean, I've always struggled to believe whether or not Abraham, the night, because it's happened in like a 24-hour span. So at night, God tells him, he says, I'm going to, you need to go to Moriah, and you need to sacrifice your son. What was that night like? When you were 16, you remember the night before you took your driver's test, you couldn't sleep? 
Those of you that have children and you knew that your, your wife was going into labor, you couldn't sleep. Before maybe you were uh, going into for the, the job opportunity of a lifetime and it was your first day, you couldn't sleep. What was it like the night before you had to kill your son? What was it like? You know what's interesting about that? About this portion of scripture? Abraham doesn't say, first of all, he said, I'll be right back. He said, we will be right back. As if he, I don't know if he really even truly believed that, this, that he's like, some, God will make a way. I don't know how, but we will be right back. Yeah. Just hang on and stay here. That's interesting. But what's more interesting to me is, he didn't say, I'm about to go get tested real quick. He said, I'm about to go worship. He called his time of testing worship. <laughs> he called his time of testing worship. Worship? I have to... <laughs> to worship now let me be fair I know I look like I'm 12 and I joke about that a lot and I can't speak from authority about a, a man who would sacrifice his son and know what that's like many of you may not know this but I actually can I have, I have two children I have a daughter her name is Grace she's 6 years old she's grown up in this church she's like she's 17 years old I mean the girl is you know, if you know. You're laughing because you know it. But I have a son named Zion. In fact, my wife had three miscarriages before Zion. He's a miracle. This past year in January, uh, we went on vacation. We came back, and my son got something called RSV. It's a roto stupid virus. I don't know what it means, but... The enemy tried to take my son's life. We were in ICU for a week. ICU. That's him right there. He was so dehydrated that they poked him to, take, to put an IV in him, but all of his veins were dried up. So that top one there is the IV that's in his forehead. He was on a respirator and a feeding tube, and he basically laid like that for several days. He couldn't breathe on his own. Four months old. I have a, a kind of an understanding, personally, maybe with what Abraham wrestled with, seeing his son in a completely helpless state. What could I do right there? What could I do? You know what you can do when your kids are like this? Worship. God, I don't understand, but you're going to make a way. 
You're going to make a way. You're going to provide the sacrifice. You're going to find a way. In your time of testing, all you can do is worship. If you're going through a trying season right now, know that God is calling you to a deeper level of intimacy, to a deeper love and an appreciation of life, to a deeper, a deeper sense of morality, to know that there is a chasm, there is a great chasm between what the spiritual and the supernatural can do in your life. Sometimes when you get called to the Mount of Moriah, because God wants to see what you're really made of. And will you worship in this season? Why? Why would God do such a thing? You can put that up. It's not unusual for God to test your altar. It's not unusual. He's done it plenty of times. It's not unusual for God to test our altar because the altar must stay intact because without it, it's very possible we would forget that we live in a tent. Testing sometimes discourages us, and it may or may not be followed by growth, but God tests us in order to bless us, in order to reveal his love for us. You're being tested so that he can show you how much he truly loves you, and that the only way to look is up. And the only thing to do is to worship. You see, when God lives at the altar of your life, and you know that you live in a tent, you learn that all you really can do is worship. And worshiping through a time of testing like what Abraham experienced, like what some of us are experiencing right now, puts God back at the altar. Everybody stand for me. Some of you being called to Mariah right now. If you've ever asked for a deeper experience with the Lord, you can expect to go to the land of Mariah. I want to close the rest of the night with just this. I'm going to pray. The band's going to play. I want to encourage you to do the only thing you can do in order to get closer to the Lord. No matter if you're living in a season of, of, of victory or a season of defeat right now, I'm going to encourage you with this. Worshiping the Lord puts him back at the altar of your life.